0: Welcome to the Money Like Mike podcast, where I can show you how to stop living paycheck to paycheck, become debt free, and live your definition of financial freedom. I'm your host, Mike Staunton, and I can't wait for you to dig into this episode. Let's do it. All right. Hello, Wade, and thank you for jumping on with me to ask some of your questions for your sake, my sake, to share my knowledge, and for others that want to listen and watch. And today we're going to talk a, a little bit different in a sense of it's not going to be an interview style questions where I'm going to ask Wade a lot of questions. It's going to be more of a conversation and we're going to ask each other questions and share a little bit about ourselves. And Wade and I actually met in a Facebook group um, about in, regarding FIRE, financial independence, retire early. And since then, we've been having a chat on Facebook, Messenger, and man, the questions have just been unreal. And I wanted to jump on and record this for everyone to hear my story and his story of how we each have gotten to where we are and where we came from. So welcome, Wade.
1: Yeah. Hi, Mike. It's really, really good to jump on a Zoom call and get a bit of a catch up with you. Like we just had such a great conversation going on and- it was great to sort of learn a lot and bounce a lot off you being, you know, a millionaire yourself and retired early. So it's really been awesome to bounce off you and get that perspective. Um, and so I guess one of the, the, the first things I wondered when we first got started talking was, was kind of like going back 10 years. I mean, in your life, I mean we spoke a lot about travel being a big thing for you and getting to live that lifestyle and all the amazing stuff that you get to do, but going back 10 years, was that sort of like, was that the initial thing that got you started on your journey? Where you just like, I want, I want to, you know, earn a bit of money, um, be able to retire early so I can travel, or what was it that actually like sparked you down that that path to begin with? Like, what what was the, the main motivator for you?
0: It is well, going back then, it's a great question because this week marks my 10 year anniversary of being in Australia, so I Ooh. arrived. In 2012, the end of March, 2012, uh, first international flight was a one way to Melbourne. So travel wasn't high up on my list. It quickly became that, um, especially being here and so diverse in Melbourne and so many cultures I got to experience. And it was just really common for people to fly overseas
1: that's it so so yeah so you, you actually got a one-way ticket to Melbourne I think for me thinking about one-way tickets I haven't traveled anywhere internationally yet I've traveled locally a lot in Australia but to me like a one-way ticket that sounds like such a like I'm going this way and there's no way back like you're you're burning your bridges I mean you can fly back later but you obviously had something in your mind that made you want to come here and uh, I think through the chat that we had a little bit you, you were saying you sort of were in um, engineering and electrical at the time. And that's, you know, and that's sort of where you were at in, in America before you come here. Is that, is that correct?
0: Yes, that's right. And the company I was with, I was with them for five years in the U S and then they transferred me over to Melbourne. I kept, I did raise my hand for it. Like I wanted to come and do what my peers were not doing, which is not traveling. It is staying home. So I got the opportunity with that company. I stayed with them another five years in Australia before quitting and and traveling full-time and making it a lifestyle. So it's slowly evolved, right? Like I came here 10 years ago with the idea of wanting a new experience, switching it up, wanting that variety in my life. And I just didn't know exactly how to go about getting it other than coming here with a job. They paid for the flight. Um, you know, there was a lot of things, a lot of benefits, perks of that company that helped me actually reach my financial independence or, or my net worth right now. Mm. So I'm very grateful for that path and I'm grateful for everything that I've learned since leaving leaving them in 2017 as well.
1: Yeah, that's, it's amazing that you, that's like, it's, that's like the start of your journey. And so that you were saying it set you up really sort of well to begin with, I guess, coming here and allowed you to sort of get a foothold on the beginnings of your financial independence. But I guess the main question then is, like, you were in the job. You come here. I think a lot of people are, are in jobs that they're doing. Maybe they like their job. Maybe they don't like their job. But, like, what, what was that moment for you in your job where you decided, like, maybe this isn't for me anymore. Like, maybe there's more out there to do. Well... How would walk me through that journey? Like, what? Where was your head at at the time, and what what made you want more? I
0: was I was really comfortable, actually. I was in a place where I was making good money. I liked who I worked for, liked who I worked with, the travel that was involved with that job as well. Yeah, I just became extremely comfortable and complacent, and it was probably L. I talked about my partner earlier, and she sparked the idea to quit and travel around Australia. So that was really the first time that I had ever quit a job. I didn't even know you had to write a resignation letter. Like I I was completely green and knowing what to do. And it, it worked out really good because I feel, I mean, I can't go back in time, but I feel that because she, it was her idea that I was confident in moving forward with resigning and going forward and quitting without the income and the job and that kind of thing. And I haven't shared with you, but I'll, I'll share I'm very open with my money and my finances and the things that I do. I track my net worth every January. January 1st, I do a track record what it's looked like. So going back 10 years or 15 years, man, I've come a long ways. And I remember when we first left January, First, 2017, when I resigned from engineering, so no more income, what am I going to do for money? How am I going to travel? And comparing it to now, even though I've traveled and now I'm full-time coaching, my net worth has more than doubled over the last five years.
1: Wow. Okay. So over the last five years, it has doubled. So so in the beginning, it may not have been, It wouldn't have, it would have grown at a slower pace, I could imagine, in the beginning. But so it, maybe in the next, like the last five years, you've maybe seen more exponential growth as far as your business and everything that you're doing. Like it's still, you're still growing that. And so now if this is, this is the interesting part of the question. I always love this question when people ask me to, it's like, so that's 10 years ago from now, but where do you see yourself maybe five years down the track, 10 years down the track? Um, yeah, like with your business and um, being financially independent already, what
0: what's next? Like, I know, and we kind of thought talk, about it earlier. Of like, we go through these seasons or these chapters of life, and what we're doing. Like, uh, man, people go through travel chapters; they just want to spend time traveling, or they want to have a family, and then mm. they want to—I don't know—buy a house. It, we all go through these de- different seasons. For me, man, anything could happen. In the next five years, being completely open to receiving and going with the flow of everything. Pretty much like this podcast, like this conversation, we're just having that chat. And I mentioned in three weeks, we have a one-way flight to Hawaii. We literally have nothing booked other than a plane flight. And once we get there, we'll make more plans. We have an idea, a dream, a wish of doing things and that is to buy an RV and travel around America. I also am planning to ride my bicycle from the state of Maine to the state of North Carolina, which is about 2000 kilometers, right? So I'm giving myself like four to six weeks to do that in September. Will it happen? I think so, but if it doesn't, I'm also in the flow of understanding it doesn't happen, or maybe it happens in August, right? So I'm just being completely open with what life brings, man. And that's what I'm really grateful for. And I'm living my ideal life. So that's something I would love to know about you. And I want to spark this in other listeners. What is your definition of uh, your ideal life? What does that look like for you? Yeah,
1: look, so, so my ideal life, like I sort of, I've had an investment property now, I think for for six years, and it's something I've really kept on top of getting paid down and Trying to build a bit of cash flow through that for myself and so I think my ideal life I'm I'm a few years back from you I'm 31 myself so um, for me my ideal lifestyle I'd, I'd love to be able to replace the income of my job with enough cash flow assets um, and investments on the go so that I can eventually you know drop back from that um, and then eventually just have have that time to myself from from replacing my job income to begin with and and for me like, You can see behind me here, I got like, you know, synthesizers and music equipment, skateboards and stuff everywhere. Like I'm just a guy that loves to, I love my hobbies. I love my interests. Like I love spending time doing those, but I've always felt like being trapped in a job. I'm kind of really limited in a cage and you get home from work, you're tired. I think this is a thing a lot of people can relate with. You know, you don't really feel like you got that time after work and that to have quality time. And not just on your hobbies and, and stuff too, things that you want to do. But for me, it's a real big thing to, to reach a place of financial independence because I've, I've love time to spend with my family, uh, with my partner, um, with my friends too, with people. I think that's a big, big motivator for me. Like that's what my ideal life um, looks like at the end of the day. And someone was telling me this the other day and it, it was a revelation to me. It's, and it's something I feel now. I live away from my parents now. I used to live regionally in a place called Mildura. Um, and that's where I grew up. And so now I live away in Melbourne. But with work and annual leave, it's my, my opportunities now to see my parents uh, are smaller. Um, and I think in the case of, of the, the person who was speaking to me, his parents lived overseas. And so the, the big revelation for him was, he's like, his parents are older too. Like my parents are older too. And you start to wonder like how many more opportunities am I going to have to spend with the people I love? And, and for him, he, he worked it out to be something like maybe another 20 times in his life. And when you look at it that way, you go, can I really afford to just stay in the position I'm in to just be doing what I'm doing now? Or do I actually need to go out of myself, challenge my, challenge my comfort zone a bit and try and earn something that's, you know you want you know you you can't you live once like you've you got to make the most of it and so that's that's what my ideal like life looks like I'd love all that stuff and I'm, I'm very early on in my financial independence journey so it's it's invaluable to be able to bounce stuff off of you and get advice on you know where I can go with that and so yeah like I, I mean a lot of people are probably in my position and they feel that too so what, what would your you know, best advice be for people who are starting out on that journey? Like, What do you find are some, some of the common pitfalls that like the obstacles that get in people's way from achieving the way they want to live?
0: Amazing question. And you gave the best answer because you have a reason. Let's just go with the example. You want to spend time with those around you, your friends, your family. Because of that, that's going to drive you to get to the results you need to get to, right? And yes. for me, I, my ideal life definition, my first one I ever written, that would have probably been seven years ago, maybe eight. And last week was every day for like, say like three days, every day was my ideal life. Like it couldn't have got any, better. it was exactly what I wrote down. What I was eating, who I was with, what we were doing, and the day of the week. Wow. So yes, uh, answer the question: What is your ideal life? Write it down. Write it down. Write it down, and have that reason. What What is that? Why? What does that drive? What do, because the how, right, of saving money, putting mutual funds, having investment properties, whatever the how, it'll work itself out. Because if you don't have a why, the how doesn't really matter. Right. So
1: that that is like the ultimate pitfall, I guess, in the beginning. You need a strong strong why and a strong direction and purpose for where where you're going. And it's it's so interesting that you say that because I've literally just finished reading the same thing in a book called Think and Grow Rich, right? Um, It's a classic, like it's been around for years. And it talks about having a definite purpose and writing that down and knowing where you want to go. And it's crazy, like you're saying, like the stuff you wrote down, like that's what you've got now. Like that was your why and you, your mind's obviously just like grabbed onto that and that's the direction you've gone. You found the how, you found all the other stuff around that. So really, yeah, why is the, you know, having a reason why and having a strong enough why that you're going to you fight for that and do what you need to to make that happen. That's really incredible. Was that like... That's all right. Where where did you first learn about that? Like, was it like you had a coach yourself who taught you that? Or was it you self-taught? Like, did you learn a lot through reading um, books, uh, maybe audio books? How'd you sort of come to learn that?
0: Yeah, I would say that my journey started with me running away from right? A lot of people start that way. And I don't, I didn't hear this from you at all because you are already advanced in that sense of you're already running towards something. So I initially began by running away from being like my parents because they did not handle things financially very well. And I, that was one of my first memories. And I've talked about it on this podcast before, but I, was, I started off by running away from how they lived their life financially. And then I was introduced to audiobooks. My first book I ever read, I was about 22 years old and it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, yes. right? A lot of people have read that book and that was my very first one. Now I've since grown and, and went a different direction in who I listened to financially, but Robert had amazing things to say and it really lit a fire under me do more, to be creative, to try other things that the normal population is not doing, right? Fire feels new, but if you go back in time, it's been around for decades. And once you start learning more and reading more and, and talking to more people, it's it's been around for a long time. And it's not so much that we retire in the sense of the word, because the word retirement actually is only 120 years old. Before that, people literally worked until they died. They had a purpose and they continued to do that purpose. Whatever it was, it could be gardening. It could be uh metalwork, could be woodwork, whatever it was in, in time. It could be stay-at-home moms or grandparents helping out the grandkids. It, it wasn't until really the industrial revolution came along and then you had the 40 hour work week put in place and you started doing things as a robot in a sense. And you kind of mentioned on it earlier, some people don't really enjoy their job. I was super comfortable as an engineer. Now I did try to go back in 2019 as an engineer and I realized I was completely unhappy and my body was telling me. So my body physically was telling me I didn't need to be here anymore. And so I I learned through trial and error, being open to the flow. Is this right for me? Should I be doing this? And I continue to learn. So to answer your question, podcast, books, audio books, read both sides, right? If you want to learn about fire, read about fire, but then read about other things as well. Listen about other things. You want to see both sides of the story so you can pull out what is meant for you. And I tell people that, I tell my clients that, I don't want you to be like me, right? In 2021, Elle and I, we spent $21,000 for our life. Like our life costs that much for the year. And that included over seven months of living on Fraser Island. Like a lot of people would love wow. to do that. And it's possible. Mm. We actually were paid to be on Fraser Island. Now we didn't get paid a lot, but our expenses were extremely low. So that's an experience. You cannot take that away from us now. What's the experience for 2022? I can't tell you. Like, we have an idea, but we're open to receiving whatever may come. So, trial and error. I share that because I want you to try things you haven't tried before. And if anyone's listened to me for any amount of time, man, the number one thing you got to do is decide. Just decide that you want to be. Financially independent. Decide you want to get out of debt. If you decide that you want to get out of debt, all you do, all you have to do, is simply stop going into debt. Because if you stop going into debt, then eventually you will become debt free.
1: Ah, yeah. See, that's it's. I think it's a very. It's interesting because debt, I think, in this this country and I think society as a whole is very normalized. Like it's very normal for people to to have debt, whether that be a car loan, a student loan, a home loan, like you know, those things are sort of, you think about homeowners being a, you know, a lot of people thought it being a good debt, which I guess, you know, it can be, depends, I guess it depends on your relationship with debt. But I think ultimately no one wants any debt. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I think it's something you mentioned to me that's a big part of what what you help people with is to get on top of that debt first. And then, and then move into to assets and maybe investments and other options or building a business of some sort. Um, and so, yeah, like, so, like, that. I guess people starting out, like, what do you kind of, kind of find, like, as far as debt is something that people struggle with? Like, what's the mindset shift that people need to understand to, to get on top of that debt? Is it, is it about pushing a comfort zone? Is it I got to do something different? obviously, but, like, do you find there's a, a hang-up for people as far as getting past that, that debt and that debt lifestyle and the normality of that, keeping up with the Joneses maybe? Like, millionaires don't – this is something I learned. Like, people that are wealthy don't necessarily look wealthy. So it's like – I think that's a hang-up a lot of people have. Like, they, they kind of want to look wealthy. They want to look well-off. But truly, anyone that's working, I think, on their finances – Well, no, I think it's a thing I took from the barefoot investor as well. He talks a lot about it, but, but yeah. So the question I guess is like, where do you find the the hangups are like as far as debt and people changing their mindset and their relationship to debt? Uh,
0: I guess I'll ask you, have you ever had debt in your life outside of a mortgage?
1: Oh, definitely. I think when I was younger and I first got a full-time job, I was just like, money is everywhere. This is cool. Like this stuff go like comes in and it goes out and I, I would go and spend all my money on car parts and and turbos and exhaust systems. And I, I was really in my cars, loved it. And so I also had personal, like I had a personal loan because I, I wanted a nice car. I wanted to impress people. I wanted to drive in. I to look cool. I had some cool clothes. I had my snapback hat, my sunnies on. I just felt I was like the top of the world at the time, but had debt. Um, and that that was a new thing for me, and so it wasn't a nice place to feel like I've got that over my head. Um, but you know, I think it scared scared the life out of me having debt. And I think really, I, I buckled down on that, and I could kind of see that, you know, if I repay this really fast, like I worked against that, like it was the enemy of everything I ever lived for. So I think that was that was my personal journey. I think for a lot of people, it's a bit different than that. I think a lot of people get very comfortable living maybe with that debt over their head and making the regular repayments, but as long as they've got the nice stuff. Um, but for me, it was, it was as much a learning experience as it was a shock for me, um, as much as this car stuff. And I think later on when I come to get my, my, my house, um, I kind of saw debt in a bit of a different way. Like I saw that as being more of a long-term thing. It was like a 30-year thing. But then even still with that, I think after a few years, I started to realize this is just like the car thing. Like I can, I can work away at this quicker and it's not going to be as quickly done as the car was the, the personal loan for the car, but I can significantly reduce it. I don't want to have that over my head for 30 years, like no way. And, you know, I think it was a, an experience for me sitting down and and putting the numbers out. Like I love to do this stuff, budgeting and, seeing where I can reduce my expenses and increase, you know, ways I can pay off the loan and just to, to, to dream about that stuff and to have the, the wired that I had, like, I think that's been there for a while for me. And especially with my music stuff too, like I was always finding no time for it. But so my relationship with debt was very slowly changed. I think over time, um, and I, I think as well, it, it really helped for me. To, I'm really privileged to be in a position that I had parents that were quite on top of their own finances and debts and stuff too. So they had a quite a healthy relationship with regular repayments and a good saving habit. And I could bounce a lot off them as far as things that I was learning. But I think I reached the limit of the things that they could teach me about like debt uh, and investments Because, I mean, they had an investment property, but it maybe wasn't doing as well as they first thought it would. And so I'd ask them all these questions about, you know, good debt, bad debt, home loans, like where I can progress forward as far as my, maybe turning my house into an investment property. And they couldn't really help me much beyond the certain point of knowledge that they learned. And so I think that was a big turning point for me. I started learning more. Like you're saying, like trying to, to listen to people that know better through audio, through reading books, trying to educate myself more. And I think that's probably where like a coach like yourself fits in, yeah? Like you'd find a lot of people maybe come to you, they're at a point where they've exhausted maybe like as much as the people in their circle can can tell them about um, and as much as maybe they, they learn a lot of stuff personally. But to have like a coach or a mentor figure in their life to sort of actually guide them through like, what can I do to apply this? I think that's a really, really big, big aspect of it. And so is that something you experience a lot? Like people come to you, they've reached a level of like, help, (laughs) I need more. Like I only know so much, I can only, you know, give myself so much information. Um, what, what, What do I need to do to move forward next? Do you find that a lot in in your clients? I do.
0: And I want to step back where you said uh, you slowly changed your relationship with debt over time. But mm. man, what you, what the little bit I know about you, you actually did it very quickly, right? Very similar to me of mm. I went and I borrowed a lot of money in a very short period of time. And I quickly realized this is not the life I want to live. And similar, I think you did it quickly. I don't know everything, your details But kind of like what we're saying, people get comfortable making those repayments as long as they have all the nice stuff. And they don't have these realizations until they're 40, 50, 60, sometimes 70 years old. And look, there's nothing wrong with it. It's better late than never. But you and I, we were able to have these realizations in our 20s. So that's a huge bonus to move toward. Like you said, the ultimate goal is to become debt free. Right. I believe that now. and. Like you said, you said it again, where most millionaires don't look wealthy. And if you see me on the streets, man, you would not think I had any money. I just look like I don't. And I like that. I appreciate that. And it's not something that I have to do for anyone else. I used to buy those cars. I used to buy the dirt bikes in the house to impress other people. But then it comes back to my reason. What's my why? I ran away from being like my parents, but then I had to find something I started to run towards and that is helping other people and giving back. And I think that's a big part of it as well. If you or whoever's listening, hasn't added that to their budget or their lifestyle, start giving. And that could be financially. That could be with your time. However you deem giving, do it because it changes who you are. And it was my, one of my mentors, Tony Robbins of, he said, if you don't give a dime out of a dollar, you're not going to give a million out of 10 million. And that really hit home for me because I was waiting for the millions to give away a million, but that's not how it works. I got to exercise that muscle early. And so I started, I pledged right then to start giving away 10% of my income forever. And that's what I've done. And I will continue to do that. It will grow to be more than 10% over time. I'm certain of it. Uh, I can't wait to give away. Like one of my goals is to give away a million dollars, like over my time. And then as time goes past, I'm sure it will change. Maybe it will be a mil, uh, $1 million in one day or one year, right? Whatever that is, it's going to continue to evolve and, be, and change. And it's about being open to those things
1: it seems to be like a common theme that you're touching on about being open to, to different things, being curious to explore different areas and, and try things. And like you're saying before, like, yeah, like just get out of that comfort zone and try do new things. And I, this, is, this, this touches on something I heard the other day too. It's like you, you reach adulthood and all of a sudden in adulthood, you try something different and people go, what are you doing? why are you doing that? That's not going to work. Whereas when you're a child, like, you know, you're a child learning to walk, you're like, come on, you can do this. You got this, you can walk. Like you're really encouraging, I think, uh, as an adult to towards a child. But then once you reach adulthood, I think everyone sort of, you know, becomes a bit more like harder for people to, to push that comfort zone and try something different and, and, and fail, but ultimately learn through the failure. Um, and so it's just really interesting that you you come back to that common theme of being open to trying new things and being curious, you know, having the curiosity, I guess, like I see it as the curiosity of a child, like, why this? How this? What did you do that for? And it's a way I always try to be myself too. Like you you learn so fast and you grow so fast by being open, I guess, to these, you know, new experiences. Um so yeah, it's just really, really cool to hear that that's a big part of like the way you think. And um, yeah, like it's, you know, people get caught up in debt for like reasons we're talking about before. Like, and you were saying yourself, like you, your motivator was to get away from your, your parents. Like you were running in the opposite direction from, from what they did. And it's, it's funny. I think I go back to what helped me adapt in the beginning so fast. And I think it was really, it was fear. Like fear is a big motivator, I think for me. And, I kind of had this fear that I might end up being poor or homeless or have nothing, I guess, like, and be in a really bad position in life. And so I think for me, that fear was so hardwired in me that that's really what helped me change early on. But I also think that it's probably not the most, the best way to be about it, but you know, there's no, there's no best path. I think everyone has their own journey. Everyone learns their own way. Um, but it is just interesting as well that you were running away from what your parents were doing. My beginning was also, I feel very fear-based. But then you talk about, on the other hand, giving, giving away to people and giving a bit to like over time, wanting to give away like a million. And I think going, when I think back to my earlier years, I was very self, very self-centered, I think in my early spending and how I wanted to be. And the way I saw people too, I think I was very, Um, very within myself and not wanting to give out to people, not wanting to help anyone else out. And so coming back to to what you're doing and helping people out through what you're doing, did you, did you have a, a, was it always something in your life that you felt like you have to help people and give back? Or is that something that you've kind of picked up along the way and, and learned that was important? And why do you feel that is an important aspect to to embody. Cause I guess a lot of people can be very wealthy. You can have a lot of millionaires, but maybe not necessarily all of them are in that same spirit or have that same level of character that they want to actually give back to, to other people in need in a position of, you know, that being in a position to help people. So why, why do you feel that that's a real big important part for you to be able to give back?
0: Great question. I believe there's three things you can do with money. You can give it, you can spend it, or you can save it. And you should do all three. Like I've been taught to do all three. I teach to do all three. And if you think back to children, they are naturally gifted at giving because nothing is theirs. Everything is given to them, food and toys and all this stuff. And they're naturally giving because that's how we are as humans. And over time that gets programmed out of us in a sense It did me anyway of wanting to be more of a saver. So I'm a natural saver. Now we're naturally gifted in one of those three areas. Me, I was saving natural saver Uh, back to children, natural givers. And we see the society as natural spenders. On average, most people have no drama spending money. And with that, you should do all three. So I was taught, I've read, and I have just been exposed to when you give, even before I started giving, I, I actually actively started giving in 2015, even before then I was witnessing, like when you give, you receive more. And that was from business people. That was from church, like uh, religion based back, uh, backgrounds. And I kept seeing it over and over and over And it wasn't really until I started doing it and realized that when you give, you get to receive, but you also become a more attractive person. You want to be around those people. You want to be around those friends and that family that gives. You want to help out that single parent with their children. You want to buy someone a book, a coffee, a food. It could be anything on the planet. and. I've also noticed when you are a giver or naturally more attractive, I want to do business with you, right? You and I, we're able to bond and have a conversation and we both gave our time in a sense. We're giving our time right now for this podcast. We're asking questions. We're curious. The result, you just have more, right? If you want to think of it. I like to think of it, if you, if you're watching this, of having two both your hands open, like one hand is receiving the money financially speaking, you receive it, but if you close that hand and you just hoard it, right, you're hoarding all the money, the flow of giving doesn't happen anymore. And also with those closed fists, you're not able to receive more. So when you have both palms open to receive and give the flow of money can really happen. And that can happen with bigger zeros. Like I'm a firm, firm believer. Once you start controlling your money, you're giving more to manage right from the universe, God, whatever it is you believe. And there's a reason why my net worth is only a million dollars because I have not been given the right to manage 10 million or hundred million. And I'm okay with that. Will I evolve to that over time? I'm sure. But if you think about 10 years ago, I didn't have anything right. And basically that's what it felt like I was making my last debt payment. I had like $70 in my bank account. And that's what I was mature enough to be given at 25 years old as a single man. Now that quickly changed and, you know, went to 3,005 and then 10 and then 20, then a hundred. And now, you know, I I'm able to manage the, the net worth I have today because I've emotionally matured and, been open with the flow of receiving and giving so that's where i think giving really plays a role
1: 100 and i think what you say what you're going back to what you're saying earlier is like by by giving you kind of like you know you become a more attractive person people want to be around you too i think and that's that's magnetic i think when you embrace that as part of who you are um yeah you will you will naturally draw to you people that Uh, also the same way in giving and then so you you give a little they give a little everyone gives a little you know and we all get something in return and that's that's just a really great way to be like linking arms and sharing knowledge um I'm, i'm big on that like people just talking about their experiences and you know what they've been through and being able to help others through their experiences too because you never know like there's probably someone out there that's had experiences that relate to what, what I've done or what what you've done or the things that we've been through. And so, you know, by, by giving, you know, at the moment, it's, it's, it's interesting too. Like it doesn't need to necessarily be money that you're, you're, you're taking giving either. It can be. So at the moment where we're giving our time, like this is something that we've put aside in the evening to do. We've made this a priority. And so you know, by getting this out as a podcast and for people to listen to as well, we can sow value into people that way. And so it was really interesting when I think I asked you a question for our conversation online. It was, do you need money to make money? And I found your answer to that absolutely, like, revolutionary. It was kind of like, you don't need money to make money because you can create value through other means. So you you can create value and and people will pay you for value. Like if I think the example that you use is you don't need tools to start a, a lawn mowing business. You can use someone else's tools to start yourself off and they pay you for that. Eventually you can buy your own tools and you can build a business that way. And that really goes back to what you're saying before about just trying different things. And I think a lot of people get caught in this. This thinking, I, I call it analysis paralysis. You're just sitting there. You got all these choices before you, but you don't know which one's the best one. So you just hold off and and don't don't act on that. But I've kind of learned over time from a lot of people like yourself that being fast to act on something and fast to learn and fast to grow is a much better way to be than not making any decision at all and sitting in that comfort zone. Um, but it, it's that's that ties back into what you said as well about becoming emotionally mature over time too. And I think that's probably something you learn through that process, right? Like, um, yeah, like going through that failing builds character. And you would have experienced that too in your journey, I can imagine. Yeah.
0: Certainly. I mean, success is the definition of sitting on a pile of failures. Like there's so much for me to say there of what you're saying the paralysis of the analysis just make a choice like the best CEOs in all the companies i've ever been exposed to are quick to make the decision now is it always the right one no but by making the decision you will quickly know it's not the right decision right you're you're able to get to the final right decision or whatever it may be Quicker because you're not sitting there frozen with fear or frozen with too many choices or whatever. Just make the choice, go for it. Like I am a firm believer. Those around me know I say this all the time, and I believe in most everything you have in your life. That hesitation gets you killed. And the reason that it was a big, powerful quote for me was because when I was a teenager, I used to do a lot of quad bikes, a lot of four wheel driving out in. Uh, uh, in the woods and and stuff. And when you're going quick, you know, the adrenaline and all this as a kid, like you just want to do it, especially as a man, you just want to do stupid shit. And (laughs) I always was taught hesitation gets you killed because if you hesitate, that's when the bike will fall over the edge of the mountain or whatever it may be. And I believe that to be very true when it comes to cars on the road. And I find that to be very true in business. Now, if you're too slow to get and pivot, like let's go take the last two years. If you're in a travel industry and you didn't pivot to whatever it may be, online teaching or, um, be in the plastics business or the masks business, then you went under, right? And some people did because they hesitated.
1: That's yeah, it's a it's a valid point you bring up, like over over COVID, having that hesitation before you you made that pivot and that decision to act to, to change what you're doing. I think it's a it's a probably a trait of very successful people and entrepreneurs too. You need to be able to sort of think on the go and adapt and change and not be so caught up in one particular way of thinking that you leave yourself open to. To you know what happened with coronavirus and COVID worldwide, I think yeah it hit a lot of people, um, and so it is really being able to adapt to that. And I think it's another thing I read about, entre- you know, an entrepreneurial mindset too, is that events like COVID, for for someone in an entrepreneurial mindset, for someone that's thinking you know in that way, it's not so much a crisis that that to them is an opportunity it is opportunity to pivot and that is opportunity to learn and adapt and to grow. And that's really, you know, it's, it's another thing. It's about like being, having that positive mindset about what can I do? What can I learn from this? And I think when you're in that analysis, paralysis mode, you know, you're hesitating, you're not making the decision. I think it, it really goes back to, to fear. It goes back to doubt. And so, have you found over your journey as well? Like, people talk always about the importance of a positive mindset, positive self-talk. Have they been things that you've you've embraced yourself? Um, and and what's that look like? Like in your day to day?
0: Yeah, affirmations have definitely played a role in in my journey. I can't say that I do them every day, um, but it's not saying that they don't work every day. Like. If you want to do those, do it. But it was about trying, right? Being open to trying something new. I was talking about affirmations. So I did them positive affirmations and listened to things like that. You become who you surround yourself with, right? Your personality, your positive mindset or your negative mindset, the way you eat, dress, sleep. All these things are about it. Your income and what you listen to as well. Like for me, I love Talking about travel, I love talking about money. I just picked up another retirement book now, today, and I'm going to have a read of that. And I'm very happy and excited to, to do that. But I also read the other side. Well, we kind of talked about it. I want people to read both sides of the story. All right, So I talk about uh, reading about business and how to grow your business to multiple millions. That's not, that's not something that interests me right now, but I'm still reading about it. Uh, I read a book. Uh, I read a um, a fiction book this week as well, and I kind of enjoyed it. The ending wasn't great for me, but it, it was different than nonfiction, right? So I'm switching it up and, and getting both sides of the aisle, if you will. So it's always about learning something new and being open to what other people are saying out there.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's, that's the key, isn't it? You just got to be open. Um, and like, like you're saying, learning, learning both sides too, like the, it's good to have affirmations. I think affirmations work, but you, I think as well, you can't also forget the flip side of like the negative too, I think is because, you know, going back to our beginnings, that was a very strong motivator at the beginning. Um, and I think personally it's, it's really taking what works from either. And I think fear can be a very strong motivator too, as much as people can have a big why, something they're running toward, I think is as well, the the big motivator can be the thing you're running away from. Like, do I want to be in my job for the next 40 years? Like is, you know, for a lot of people, the negative is a very big motivator. Um, and so, yeah, like that's, that's what started us out. Um, but it's obviously it's changed now, and you know you you do learn to embrace a more positive mindset. I think as you go on the journey, and affirmations are something I do every day too, and there's something that's really helped with my own like my own self-talk, because it's can be very negative at times in, in, in the old noggin. But um, yeah, there's something I practice every day, and and yeah, going back to to books. So you were saying the Robert Kiyosaki cash flow. Sorry, not cash flow quadrant. Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the one that sort of started you off. Um, and you're still reading now as a as a habit, like you, you know, talking about some of the books that you're reading. Have, have there been any along the way that have been like absolutely like must reads for people that are on a financial independence journey? Like what, what's some of the big ones that have stood out for you? Wow, oh,
0: Man. Amazing question. I usually ask that question, but (laughs) for specifically on financial independence, I'm going to refer to my phone. I'm going to see (laughs) what I have in my notes because I do have a a list of books that I do recommend.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many of them out there, isn't there? I guess like, and, and specifically, well, non-specifically, like generally speaking, as far as mindset, um there's a whole range of books around mindset um there's also a whole range of books around you know I, I mentioned I almost mentioned the cash flow quadrant which is another Robert Kiyosaki one which I found that was a big one for me learning about the different you know the employer the self-employed you've got your investor and you've got your big business quadrants and that was that was a big one for me personally um yeah so like you know what about yourself like what were I guess some of the ones that stood out. Like, did you did you find any there?
0: Did <laughs> yeah. So, some of the most recent ones is the simple path to wealth. That's a good one. That was introduced to me, I think, um, from another fire community member. And yeah, it was it was good. It was really good. And it doesn't have to it's be complicated. Book. From that book. The next one, the psychology of money. That's by Morgan Hassel, and that one came pretty recently. I think he was, I think it was written in 2020 or 2021 or something like that. Like it was pretty new. So that was a really good one because the psychology of money, we, we talked about it before where we have a why, right? And the, how will take care of itself. So if you haven't taken care of the mind, the negative mindset or, or controlling things, it doesn't matter how much money you have. I mean, think about the lottery winners in a sense of how many of them go broke. It doesn't matter how much money they won because they haven't controlled the person in their mirror. And that's what a lot of people come to me for. So like my clients, I'm helping out with their mindset. There's some practical things to do, but it doesn't matter how much money you make. And if you can't tell it what to do, it's going to disappear. That's,
1: that's, that's the thing I've heard too. I've heard, money talks and if you don't tell what to do it says goodbye (laughs) it'll just find its own way out the door somewhere you know gotta tell it where to go like um i think that's yeah it's a it's a huge point uh and i think just going back as well a a lot to to mindset too like what you're saying about the like a lottery winner so people will get the they win big on the lottery perhaps you know i was also thinking at the time when you're saying that you, you think about people as well that are in higher paying professions, higher paying careers and jobs and stuff too. And so I think for myself, my my own job, my own day job, it's, it's not a very high paying job, but I think, you know, being able to get on top of my, my home loan and my debt wasn't necessarily a case of having a lot of income, I think to leverage to do that. It was more the mindset around, around doing that. And, you know, of course, there's the practical things that you can do, reducing your, your everyday expenses and cutting back here and there. But like you say, I think the mindset is really, that's like the crux of it. Like that's, you know, whether you're on a lower income, you're on a higher income. I, I hear plenty of people all the time that have higher incomes, but they their lifestyle becomes expensive to match that too. And so it's, yeah, it is really it really goes to say, I think you can do a lot from the position that you're in and you'd have people come to you from all different kinds of positions. You, you might even have people to come to seek your advice who are in very well-paying positions and maybe they are like a lot in debt and, and stuff like that. And so, but you'd also maybe have people who come to you who are, who are like me, I guess, with maybe a lesser amount of debt left and it's kind of looking like I'm, I'm reaching that point where I might be debt free. And so, you know, that with that broad spectrum of, of people, what sort of advice and how do you steer people who are perhaps in a position more like, more like myself, maybe like I've, I've knocked the nail on the head as far as my own debt or well, nearly none, um, but what's what's the stage that sort of comes after eliminating debt? Like what's what's that look like and how do you usually guide people through developing that mindset? Because obviously that mindset is – maybe a little bit different from someone in the beginning that's sort of working through managing their debt so so what, what what sort of advice would you give to maybe someone that's in my position
0: yeah so i teach a seven step process so number 1 baby step number 1 is have a $1000 saved as a starter emergency fund number 2 mm-hmm. is to get out of debt everything but your mortgage number 3 is to go back to $1000 and beef that up to three to six months of your expenses equating to a fully funded emergency fund. So that's one, two, and three. They're done in order and not to be done before baby step number four, which is starting to invest 15% of your household income. Then number five is any kids future expenses. If you have kids, if you want to pay for the car, the school, those kind of things, Number six is to pay off your house early if you have one. And then number seven is just to build wealth and give outrageously. So I work on the premise that one, two, and three are done in order. Four, five, and six are done together. And then number seven, that's when you really get to have fun. And me, I don't have a house. That's not the lifestyle that I live at the moment, but I am financially prepared and probably mentally prepared to purchase my next house in cash because I've made the decision to never borrow money again. I'm not even going to borrow for a mortgage. Now I understand people will do and I it's justified easily, but I've made the decision within myself that I'm not going to ever borrow money again because I don't want to help the banks earn more money. So I'm going to pay cash for my next house. In saying that, I don't know when my next house purchase is going to be. It could be 10, 20, 30 years. I don't know who, who knows where, in the world or how much I want to spend and, and all those things. I'm not really worried about that because I haven't felt like I wanted to own real estate again. I've had the luxury of owning it to live in, owning it to rent. And it's not something that I invest in any longer. Will I get do it again in the future? I'm sure. But right now my net worth, my investments are all in mutual funds inside of retirement and outside of retirement.
1: Right. Okay. So mutual funds was, was what you found in the end was the investment vehicle that worked for you because it's, I think it's for me, like I've got my investment property and there are like, there's a bit, you know, it can get a bit difficult at times. Something breaks down. There's a lot of trouble. You might not get good tenants. Um. And you've always got those, I guess, those fears in the back of your head. Whereas like walk me through like how, so like, having the mutual funds, how, how, how do you find that has, cause you have obviously you've done both. You said, you know, you had real estate at one stage. And so how do you, what sort of pros do you find over the mutual funds over real estate? Cause I know real estate's a big one for many people. You know, a lot of people see that as being a long-term very responsible investment. Um, and so mutual funds, what's, what's worked in that, that area for you particularly?
0: I'll start at the real estate. So, I've had the luxury of owning two pieces of property in the U S and I'm really glad that I did. And exactly what you listed, things break down. Tenants aren't always good. Things go wrong. There's like a time and an effort and a hassle factor. And when I came overseas, I still had one of those properties and dealing with time zone differences with my property manager. Like there was a real hassle factor in a sense of collecting rent or fixing things and just, doing things like that. So the hassle factor was a huge one. And that was really against my, that's really a, a, a negative condensation on real estate for me. Now, if you haven't been through that and you own real estate, congratulations. But with enough time, I promise you, those things will happen to you. To mutual funds, I don't get phone calls. I don't get emails. I don't, I don't have any problems with things breaking down. Okay, I understand the the market does go up and down, ebbs and flows, you know, thinking of a roller coaster, but I'm extremely comfortable with that. And guess what? If you turn off your TV and you don't listen to the news, you don't know what it's doing. So that's the biggest thing. Don't pay attention to things that don't affect your life right now. And probably won't ever affect your life.
1: Definitely. Like, cause that stuff takes up that takes up your headspace. Like you got. You know, it's stuff that you've got on the back of your mind all day, and it's stuff that probably raises your baseline anxiety to a degree. Having all of that sort of sitting in there, in you know, up in your head, and so, yeah, mutual friends in that regard. If you like you said, you don't, you know, pay attention to the TV, you don't, you don't know what's going on with that. And I think like, I think the TV and I think the media and radio as a whole, I think that can be really be a thing for a lot of people that does raise. Their level of anxiety, I think, in, in regard to a lot of investments, not just real estate. Real estate's a big one because it's house prices are always going up, and you're worried about things going on. But it's the same with same with any investment, really. Like I think if you're plugged into that as a source, and that's kind of what you plug your rain into, and you're feeling that you rain up with that kind of every day. I think is an alternative to that. Really, I, I my TV, it's something I haven't used for probably four months now. Like I've I've made it a habit in my life to, to get rid of that. And so I listen to, I'll listen to, you know, podcasts I'll, I'll very often and I'll, I'll read often. And so when I make those choices, I always make those choices to plug into um, like a positive source of media, something that I can actually learn from and grow from and, and take away and, and, and apply in my life. Um, and so going back to mutual funds as well, I, I think the thing that enables really, lifestyle from what I've understood is to be actually to be able to have that positive cash flow ongoing and so with mutual funds I know as far as my property goes there's the 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 rent collected from the tenants each week and I've got that sort of to a point I guess now where a lot of people have their property negative geared and they'll be paying a bit from their own pocket to keep that going I think from from my my current situation it's it's a little bit on top of my, my income. Every sort of fortnight, I get a little bit of a boost and that feels really great. But I think ultimately to, to be able to live off that, you need that kind of coming in all the time. So I don't have much of an understanding around like mutual funds myself, but how, how does that work to someone that doesn't really know about that? Is it paid through? I, I hate dividends. I'm very new to this, but how, how do you, how does that work in your life? How does, how do you see that playing out? Like
0: great questions. And it is mostly dividends right? in Australia. You can talk about it in the, in the sense of franking credits, very similar. Right. And it's what the company pays you in the, in Australia every six months. So at the end of the financial year and end of the calendar year, you get a payout of dividends in a sense from investing in these funds. I do want to take a step back and say, when I mentioned baby step number four, right? You're completely out of debt. You had a fully funded emergency fund. You start investing. So investing 15% of your income, I want you to do that in, to retirement. Now you get to choose whatever and however you want it to be. In this country, in Australia, we get superannuation right now is at 10% as if you're an employee, you get 10% of your income going into your superannuation. Now I understand if you want to choose to to use that 10% as part of the 15 that I recommend, there's nothing wrong with that. And what you invest in inside of superannuation are mutual funds. Now it can be cash. like It can be a mutual fund that is only invested in cash. It can be mutual funds invested internationally. It can be only in different sectors. It can be banking, it can be in mining, it can be in all these different areas as well. So I would say that the first place to start learning about mutual funds is with your retirement, with your employer, right? With superannuation. Uh, If you're in the US, it's your 401k or an IRA, those type of things. And that's how I started out with my journey and getting a comfortable grasp on what the market does the roller coasters, the ups, the downs dollar cost averaging every month I was putting in with my paycheck because overall it's 15%. And what I did was I just did 15% every month from my employer as an engineer over time, I started investing outside of retirement. So we kind of talked about earlier of kind of thinking about the exponential chart of it was, is kind of growing slowly. And then recently it's starting to take off and In the next five and 10 years, it's going to continue to do that. And I've reached a a point now that my investments are growing faster than my income, where this never happened before. And that's pretty cool, right? Annually, I'm getting more money growth in my my investments than I'm bringing in in my business. And that's pretty cool. Wow.
1: That must've been like a point where you sort of, we're looking at the figures and you kind of see, wow, this is actually, like you're saying, growing exponentially now. It's like it had this little bit of momentum in the beginning, but like you're saying, like with, with dollar cost averaging over time, that's just built up to like a, it's an unstoppable force. Now you couldn't stop that thing if you wanted to, like it's going to just keep building and um, like, yeah, like it's, it's surpassed the income you make for your business. And so that's a really, that's a really, that's really cool. Like, that's just really cool for me to hear that sort of stuff. And it gets me really excited to think like, like what would it be like to be in that position, I guess, like down the track in, in my own life. And, and so like, how long did it take you before, like, do, do you know how long it took before, you know, of the dollar cost averaging investing over time, how long it took before that overtook the income from your business? like is that a is a very long like people generally see that as being a very long-term journey i guess like over time maybe they see that happening like when they're much older but but for you like you mid-30s like that's very young for to have that that position that financial you know to be in that spot um and so how long did that take for you to build to that point
0: so i started my journey 15 years ago about learning and reading right the first book was Said poor dad again, but just wanting to absorb knowledge, and then it quickly transferred into Dave Ramsey and his teachings. And what I learned about paying off debt and becoming a millionaire, right? If you haven't read it, that's another great book is The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, That's amazing, right? Uh, And that was one of the powerful things of me. That's not that I've really cared what other people think about me in, in the past, I mean, there's I've been through seasons and stuff where I did, I tried to impress people, but that book really helped me out of like, no one knows, no one knows how much money I have in my pocket. No one knows how much money I have at the end of the day, we're still human. And when we die, we can't take it with us. Like, so all of these things and thoughts and conversations continue to happen. And five years later, right. So I, at 25 years old, I made my last debt payment. I had just arrived in Australia. I, like I mentioned before, I had $70 in my, my account. I made my last debt payment. and I thought I was on top of the world because before, when I first did my net worth calculation, I was worth negative $100,000. Like that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. I mean, you're better off starting at zero because if you start at zero, if you're listening to this and you start off at zero, don't feel bad. I started in a worse place and I've gotten here. So in the last 10 years is really when I started making progress, becoming debt-free, investing into retirement, investing outside of retirement, investing in myself, right? I think that's one of the best investments we can make is investing in ourselves, listening to this podcast, reading books, going to personal development courses, all of these things because they play a role in how well you earn an income, right? As an employee, as a business owner, however you want to do it. If you don't invest in you and you just go ahead and you make minimum wage for the rest of your life, it's going to be pretty hard to become a millionaire. Not saying it's impossible, but it's going to be harder. I do want to say that I've never made six figures. Like people may find that hard to, f- to fathom, but you can still become a millionaire and not make six figures a year
1: that's that's right i was actually looking this up today because i don't know why this had never occurred to me before but i'm like what makes a millionaire a millionaire and it really doesn't it, it doesn't come down to oh you make a million dollars a year it comes down to your your net worth at the end of the day and it's it and in your net worth is your you know the value of the the assets the things that you own minus the debt you've got and so you know for, like you're saying those those in a position at zero dollars starting out instead of negative a hundred thousand that's a good spot to be like you, you know you're you're not in debt or you're not you're not broke and in debt put it that way like yeah zero is a good spot to start and i think there'll be a lot of younger people in that position too that might be listening to the the podcast and i think that's a really really helpful perspective for people that are you know, in that position. Um, but, you know, also from people who are in a position of debt too, um, you can always move forward from that position too. I mean, that, that was where you started, I think, in your beginning. Um, and so I've got one last question for you. This is a really big one. This is something I took from a, a book called The Millionaire's Handbook. And he talks about this this idea. This has been something I've mulled over in my brain a lot. And this question is, is it a selfish decision to choose not to be a millionaire and to put yourself in a position where you're then able to help others to give back uh, and to go beyond yourself? I know a lot of people perhaps in my life are just happy to have just enough to sort of be comfortable, but not enough to actually make change in the world as far as, a big why like maybe retire their parents or something you know like dream big go big Um, and so that I think one of the interesting things he talks about in that book was that the idea to to not be wealthy to not be a millionaire to not go for those big ideas and to just limit yourself to just what you want for yourself and what's comfortable that he actually called that being selfish and I was like wow, that's a really interesting way to think about that. And I thought, well, I wonder what Mike's perspective on this is. Do you, do you think that it's selfish to be in a position where you just do just enough for yourself to get by comfortably through life? Or, or what are your thoughts on that idea?
0: I think yes and no initially. Hmm. So let's, yeah, let's have a chat about it. I believe you should always take care of yourself first. Like anyone in my life knows in Mike's life, I'm number one. And people can view that as selfish, but I view it as if I don't take care of me, I can't take care of you or whoever's listening or L or my family. I can't do those things if I don't take care of myself. So if I'm working 16 hours a day and, and too tired or, and eating poorly, and if I don't exercise all of these things add up and I make a poor person to be around. I make a poor provider. I'm not able to take care of others in a sense of my coaching or my relationships, however that looks. So I do want to say that first. And I can also see, I don't, I don't know if this is what this person was saying, but if you have the ability and the capability to do more and take care of other people or to give more, I can see how that can be viewed as selfish in the sense that you should step up and give somebody a hug, smile at them, right? Like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to buy someone a house. You don't have to give away a million bucks. Just go and get off the couch and be a good human being. So I can view it that way. Yeah. What do you think about those answers?
1: Oh, I, I love that answer because it, it turns back to what we are saying before. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a monetary thing either. It can be if you just got that little bit of energy more and you want to go out and make someone's day, say, hey, you're looking real good today. Give someone a hug. Say, nice shirt, nice hat. Love what you're doing. Like, go do that. Like, go sow, sow that energy into the world. Like, at the end of the day, it's, it builds your character. It builds your magnetism. And it helps others out too. Like. It's, it's, there's no losing that situation. If you've got the energy in the tank to do that, do that. But I think it ties back to what you're saying before that too, which is you've got to look after yourself first and foremost. If you can't look after yourself, I'm hundred percent in agreement with that. You just cannot sow back in other people. And believe me, I've tried, like it is very hard to draw from a tank that's got very little in it. So, you know, I think it's very important to, to have that in life and to be able to identify those activities and things that you can do that recharge you and make you feel good for me I'm a bit of an introvert so being around people for a long time can be very taxing on me but then you know activities like my music um, my skateboarding um, just spending time reading a book by myself gives me a lot of energy and so I think it's really important to have that that balance and like you said like like I was coming at you with it's kind of like it's I, I I poised the question like it was very much like a black and white thing, but it's it is a yes and a no. I think everything is able to be explored and it's a tangible idea. And I think there's a lot of value in just discussing the idea. So it's been so great like to talk to you tonight and to to bounce all these questions off you. Like you just provided so much value for me. And I hope everyone that's listening has got a lot of value out of this too. And um, yeah, it's been so great to have the opportunity to do this too, Mike. Like, thank you so much for letting me jump on this podcast here with you and talk through all these questions. You know, it's not like every day you get to talk to someone that's a self-made millionaire. Like, that is incredible.
0: Well, hey, I appreciate your time, your questions, and, and you as well, because you're going to get there. Like, I I know that. I can see that in you the drive, the reasoning, the exploration of finding out how to do it, why to do it. So, congratulations on you being a self-made future millionaire as well. I have a question for you and I always love asking this question. What was your biggest takeaway from today's conversation?
1: Ooh, I think my biggest takeaway is probably just like to have that uh, the spirit of, I think, uh, to be able to try things, to to not have that fear hold you back, to act fast, to not be held in the moment and to have that curiosity, I think, like it like a child to explore give things a go and just just act do something you know just don't sit there and do nothing just go out and do something like for anyone listening to this i think you know if that's a takeaway you got to like it's great to listen to this it's great to build up that knowledge but don't be like me like don't just get a whole heap of knowledge for you and do nothing on it get out there and act on it because the sooner you act on it the sooner that becomes something that's a part of your life and a part of you know, who you can be moving forward and a part of who you can add into other people too. So I think that is my biggest takeaway from this session tonight. So thank you so much again, Mike.
0: Thank you, Wade. And we'll chat soon, brother.
1: Awesome. Chat soon, man. Catch you later.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show or found value in this episode, the number one thing you can do is subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I can't wait to see you in the next episode.